But whilst we're doing that, I want to tell you something. One of the great joys of being a pastor, and there are many great joys of being a pastor, but one of them is watching people make the commitment and place their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Saviour of their lives. There's something about that moment wherever the penny drops, wherever they realise for themselves that God has been at work in their lives, that God's seeking grace has been at work in their lives and that they take that step in faith toward Christ and accept his gift of saving grace in their lives. A few weeks ago, I told you the story of a lady who I called Margaret. That's not her name, but let's say she was Margaret. And many people have asked me since then, what happened to Margaret? Because she kind of left us hanging. What happened to Margaret? I want to tell you, Margaret is still alive and well, which is good. And she's still serving Jesus. She, in fact, she grew so quickly in the things of faith that it was not long before she was serving in the church. And she eventually went on to serve in the leadership of the church team there. She went with us, that's Chloe and I, and spent some time in Romania with Pastor Norman and Linda on a missions trip in 2018. And there the Cogs are working with them and they're trying to figure out who Margaret is. They know who Margaret is. Don't tell anyone. Right? And she was, she was a shining light in the church in which she attended until it sadly closed a couple of years ago. But Margaret's still walking with Jesus. Margaret's still serving Jesus in her new church, in her new fellowship, and her story continues to be an inspiration to other people, even in this congregation today. You see, at the point of saving grace, Margaret refused to stay the same as she was. She refused, and still is, being continually transformed by the sanctifying grace of God at work in her life. However, this did not just happen. Also, if you could see the smile on Pastor Norman and Linda's face, because they know who I'm talking about, right? But this did not just happen. There was a conscious effort on her part, working alongside and cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit not only afforded to her sanctifying grace, but he also poured onto her and continues to pour onto her sustaining grace as life began to simply happen. Life happens, doesn't it? Life throws you curveballs. And in those moments, you need sustaining grace to see you through. But I want to tell you, sadly, Margaret's story is not always the way that it seems to happen. In the Gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark and Luke, we find a parable which Jesus told about a farmer who scattered some seed. Which I thought this worked out really well because it's harvest and scattering seed and seeing fruit for that. And the story goes, and many, many of you may know this story, but let's just reiterate it. Uh, again and retell it or maybe tell it for the first time the story goes that some of the seed fell along the path and that the, the birds went along and devoured it the story also goes that some of that seed fell on rocky ground <coughs> rocky ground where there was a little bit of soil but there wasn't very much 
And because there wasn't a lot of soil for it to dig its roots into, it ended up springing up very quickly. Let's say that it made a beautiful, beautiful flower. But when the sun came out, the sun scorched the flowers. And because they had no root on which to depend, they weathered away. Some of the seed fell among the thorns. And what happened? That as the seeds began to blossom and grow, so too did the thorns. And the thorns choked them out to the point that they weathered and died. But some of the seed fell on good soil. And when it fell on good soil, the roots went down deep. It maybe didn't grow at an alarming rate, but it persevered. And some of those seeds produced grain, produced flowers, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold, a lot more than the seeds that were planted came up the flowers, came up the grain in the beautiful, beautiful men. I look at Margaret's story, and Margaret is a case where the seed fell on good soil. She was loved, she was nurtured, she was afforded the opportunity to grow and to blossom and to serve. And even today, she continues to do these things. But she's also helping others in that same direction. She's drawing alongside them. She's affording to them the opportunity to grow and to blossom and to serve. I'll never forget the day that Margaret brought her friend to church. Margaret brought her friend who has severe cerebral palsy to church. And that woman found faith in Jesus Christ. She stepped out in faith. She stepped toward a God who was stepping towards her. And we had the absolute joy of baptising that lady. And the story goes, I wish somebody caught it on video because my hand slipped and she couldn't get into the tank. So I had to do it from a cup. And I meant to do a wee tiny bit and I got carried away and did the whole thing. And she was like, whoa, right? But Margaret, being nurtured and loved in the good soil, she then wanted to make sure that others fell in the good soil too. And she nurtured them and she loved them, giving them opportunities to serve and to grow and to blossom, even until this day. But as I said, Margaret's story, sadly, is not what always happens. Very often in my observation that I make as a, as a pastor, people's life journeys tend to lean toward and reflect the seed which was planted among the rocks. There's this initial moment of joy that enters as the transforming grace of God is at work in their lives. They get saved and the peace of God falls upon them. They're buzzing. There are spiritual highs along the way. They feel like they're walking on air and this is followed by powerful emotions. They are just Oh, they can't wait. Have you ever, I, I love new Christians. Not that I don't love people who have been Christians for a long time, but I love new Christians because it's also raw and it's also fresh and they can't wait to go and tell everybody. 
Guess what? I found it. In fact, it found me. And his name is Jesus. The one who we've been looking for. There are spiritual highs. There are powerful emotions. There's bold commitments to follow after Jesus. And declarations that we'll love him forever and ever. Amen. No matter what. My whole world could come cave and end, but no matter what, I'll never leave Jesus. And I love him forever and ever. But then, as time goes on, sadly, some of these individuals begin to drop off. It doesn't happen suddenly. It's a, more of a slow fade. The fire for God that's in their hearts and in their bellies, it begins to grow smaller and smaller. The passion begins to diminish. And rather than do anything about it or seek help, they fake it to make it. And then these individuals gradually, whenever they use up all their natural resources, they gradually begin to retreat into the background, into the background. They gradually begin to retract those bold declarations which they once made and the bold commitments that they made. They claim that life gets in the way that circumstances have changed. And well, very often, sadly, they use God telling them as an excuse not to be true to his word and will for their lives. God gets blamed for an awful lot, but he doesn't say in the first place. Then, lo and behold, no matter how much encouragement, no matter how much engagement fellow Christians give to them and the time that they spend with them, they disappear. They disappear as their priority changes and their faith withers. And that begs the question, why has this happened? How has this been allowed to happen? Because I'll be honest, I, I've seen it so many times. I've seen it so many times and if it breaks my heart, Imagine how much it breaks the heart of God. How has this happened? This is how it's happened. People have failed to dig deep roots in their faith through steady, consistent practices of faith. And when the rubber hits the road and the emotional highs of the reality of God's transforming grace begin to wear off and people start to ask questions or poke fun at people, people begin to shrink back and to hide their faith away and to leave it alone. Or even worse, leave it behind. <laughs> this not only breaks the heart of the pastor, this not only breaks the heart of the congregation, but it breaks the heart of God. The grace of God at work in our lives is not something that can be earned if we work hard enough. It's not something that can be earned by simply doing the right things. 
Rather, this grace of God, this sustaining grace of God, which sustains us in our faith, is given freely to all who wish to receive it. And we go and we journey in partnership with God that we may grow more in the likeness of Christ. One of the greatest mistakes which we can make, and it's one that I have made time and time again, one of the greatest mistakes that we can make is that when we reduce our journey of grace or our journey with God's Spirit to one particular indicator or one particular thing. In other words, whenever we use one aspect of our faith as a measuring stick to indicate where we're at in our relationship with God and whether we're a better person now than we were this time last year. And here's a wee side note on that. Terminology of being a better person riles me up, right? Because we're not called to be better people. The aim of our faith is not to be better people. The aim of our faith is to be imitators of Christ. The aim of our faith, our calling, is to reflect Christ to the nations. It's to love God and to glorify Him. To be like Him. For example, and examples are important, these indicators can be as follows, right? And maybe as we work through them, maybe you see yourself in one or in more of these. For some, an indicator of their faith can be their experiences. And what I mean by this is the mindset of, if I go to church and I can experience God's presence, if I can respond to an altar call every time the preacher puts one out, or if I can sing my wee heart out and feel God in that moment, then surely I'm growing in grace. But what happens? What happens when you do those things and you don't feel God in that moment? He's always in the room, such as his omnipresent nature. But what happens if you don't Feel him in that moment. For some, it's behaviours. The mindset goes, if I act like this, if I say these big words, if I say the right things, if I do the right things, if I dress in a certain way, if I live in a way in front of other people that makes them look at me and go, wow, I want to be just like them. If I put away the alcohol, if I put away the smokes, if, if I tick all the behavioural boxes that are expected of me as a Christian, if I do these things, then surely I'm growing in grace. But what happens when you have a wobble and someone sees you make a mistake? What happens when you, when you see someone else make a mistake who, in your opinion, should know better? I want to tell you, if your journey of grace, your journey with Jesus is defined by behaviours, that is what is called legalism. And it cannot sustain you in a meaningful way in your journey of grace. For legalism lacks love. And it misses the whole point of the gospel. 
had the privilege of doing a couple of weddings over the weekend. And each, at each wedding, I read a passage from 1 John chapter 4. It's my go-to one for weddings because it was read at our wedding. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, even though he loved all of them, I just love that he refers to himself that way. He says, God is love. And perfect love casts out fear. Legalism lacks love. Or another way put, legalism lacks the presence of God. And therefore it misses the whole point of the gospel. For some it's experiences, for some it's behaviours. For others, it's knowledge. The mindset goes, if I spend all my time reading the Bible, if I spend all my time reading biblical commentaries, if I spend my time reading about the lives of the heroes of the faith, if I digest as much theological understanding and thinking as I can, then surely I'm growing in grace. If I learn all the doctrines of the church and know the Bible better than I know the back of my hand, then surely, surely I'm growing in grace. But what happens when you have to care for someone who doesn't need your words or doesn't need your knowledge, but who needs to know the love of Jesus, a God who inclines his ear toward us? Right knowledge, having all the knowledge in the world, and I know there's lots of smart people in the room, having all the right knowledge without having a right, loving, compassionate heart, it's going to leave us wanting. It's going to leave us falling short time and time again. Well, the other one I hear is, if I can be super spiritual. You ever met somebody who's super spiritual? Right? And this is a mindset of, do you know what? See if I spend time in the Word. See, if I spend all my time in prayer, if I spend all my time volunteering at the church and spend every waking moment pressing into the presence of God in isolation, if only I try harder and obsess over becoming more like Jesus myself and obsess over it to the point that an athlete would obsess about being the best. The best example I can give of this is Cristiano Ronaldo, who obsesses about being the best footballer, not only in this generation, but in every generation that has been. And he has devoted his life to that. And I would say he's come pretty close. This mindset of, if I do all these things and be the best version of myself, then surely, surely I'm growing in grace. But what happens when your family never see you? Or when they do see you, you're vacant. You're in the room, but you're not in the room. You're distant. What happens whenever you fall short of the standards that you've set for yourself? What happens when you fall short? Those with this mindset of super spirituality, if only I do this, then I will be. Whenever they fall short, their life begins to fall apart. <coughs> Don't get me wrong. All of these things are actually very important. 
Experiences are good. I come to church expecting to experience God's presence. That's not a bad thing. Rules can be used to create helpful boundaries. Because I love God, I'm not going to do those things. Knowledge is important because it's important that we understand and we know what we believe. The scripture tells us that we should be ready in season and out of season to give account for the hope that is within us. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Knowledge is not bad. And spiritual disciplines are important and should play an important part in our walk with Jesus. We should be reading the word. We should be spending time in prayer. We should be practicing the presence of God. All of these things have merit, but they should come as a package, not individually, because none of these alone will be able to sustain us on the journey of grace. Whenever he was in secondary school, my wee brother, Andrew, he took it upon himself that he wanted to be a wee bit of a bellboy, right? So he would go to the, he would go to B&M Bargains, which had just opened up in Lorne. Lorne got a B&M before Consular did. <laughs> right? Went down to B&M, and he was a big strong boy, still is, and he filled his bags worth, and he bought the multi-packs of chocolate, he bought the multi-packs of crisps. He bought the multi-packs of drinks. And he took them to school. And he sold them. Individually. To make a huge profit. And he did make a huge profit. We could never understand why he had so much money. Until I found his stash one day. Because we shared a room. And on each of those multi-packs, each of the bars, each of the drinks, each of the crisps said, part of a multi-pack, do not sell separately. Experiences, behaviours, knowledge, spiritual disciplines, they're part of a multi-pack. Don't sell them separately. Don't sell them separately. Yet there is great power in these things when they are exercised correctly. Who has ever heard of the phrase, practice makes perfect? Right? Heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. I want to take you back to whenever I was in primary three. Primary three. Whose class was I in? I was in, well, she's Mrs. Adair now, and she was Miss Milligan back there. Shirley Milligan from the Carrickfergus Church way back when. Shirley Milligan was my primary three teacher and I used to get very excited every Tuesday because I got to leave class because I was learning the flute like a good Protestant boy from Lord right but I was learning the flute right and I was really excited about this got me out of class for an hour every Tuesday and I would go down to the wee room where Mr Doherty and some of my classmates would be and we would learn the flute and we were working towards grade one 
of the flute. Because there was no point just learning it for the sake of it. We wanted to learn it to get grades because apparently, even in primary three, I knew that would look good on my CV one day. Right? It's not on my CV anymore. But Mr. Dogley was the teacher. We were going for grade one and it became very apparent that I did not have a natural gifting towards playing the flute. My dad had always said I was a wee bit of a blow, right? But I had no puff. I couldn't blow. And I had to really stick at it to get it. And I got really frustrated about this to the point where I just didn't practice enough. And one of the parents of my good friend, Brandon, she took it upon herself, well, let's do some extra sessions. Let's do some extra sessions. I look back and I realise they were for my benefit now. But let's do some extra sessions. Where we all got together after school and we went round to Brandon's house, we all took our flutes and we worked through what Mr. Dogberry had given us to do. It was to make sure that we were all practising. It was to make sure I was practising. But it was to make sure we were all practising and we were all doing what we were supposed to do. And I went along. And I, lo and behold, I improved. Things got better. Things got good. But then I got distracted. And a new kid moved into the cul-de-sac and he really loved Man United and I really loved Man United. So I would rather go and play football with this new friend than practice on my foot. But the extra sessions continued even without me. And what was noticeable was that they were getting much better. This cohort was getting much better as they practiced individually, as they practiced together after school, as they practiced with Mr. Doherty on a Tuesday, and I was lagging behind. And I lagged so far behind that Mr. Doherty very nearly didn't put me forward for my grade one, for the exam that needed to take place. My dad actually had to intervene and say, no, he's doing it. I got by by the skin of my teeth. The skin of my teeth. But Brandon and Elaine and Saskia, they went on to achieve grade five, grade six, grade seven. And I never made it past grade one, which I only got by one mark, by the way. Why is this? Why did they progress and why did I not? Because I refused to participate in community and believed that I could do it on my own. I believed I could do it on my own. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to us is one another. God himself in Genesis 1 is revealed to be in community. He says, let us create and himself modeling community through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gives to us the grace and the gift of the church that we may grow in grace, not in isolation, but so that we may grow together, together. Turn to the person beside you or the person behind you or whatever, and just make sure two things, make sure they're still awake. <laughs> And tell them they're a wee blessing. Tell them they're a blessing. Right? But how do we grow together? Maybe that's the first time in a wee while a husband and wife have told each other that. 
right? But how do we grow together? We grow together through the means of grace. The means of grace through forming spiritual habits together. We do this by reading the Word of God together. And studying it that we may learn more of God's heart for his people. We do it by praying together that we may move into his presence together. We do so by fasting together that we may sacrifice our wants for a common need as we seek God together. We do it by worshipping together that we may encourage one another and build one another up and glorifying God together. We do it by evangelizing together. I love that in the Gospels we learn of how Jesus sent his disciples out two by two into the surrounding towns and villages. That we, he sent them out two by two and we too may go and share the love and hope of Jesus with East Belfast. We do it by combining our tithe, the first fruits of our labour together for the sake of the kingdom of God and the growth of the church, that we may be the church that God has called us to be and the church that this community needs us to be. But does that work in practice? Does it really work? Does that actually help us to grow together in God's sustaining grace to make us more like Jesus? Are we really better together or is that just a political slogan? Because people are messy and people are difficult and people are annoying and people get on your wick. Right? They do. Don't they? Nobody annoys me like other people. None of you, of course. Right? People are messy. People have problems. Sometimes we can fall into this mindset of, do you know what? My dad always said, if you want a good job done, just do it yourself. Normally after I tried to help him, to be honest. Right? But I stand today on the authority of Scripture, of the Word of God, which reveals to us the heart of God by the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus Christ. And I tell you with heart and with soul, that this is the heart of God for us as people. His heart is that we may grow together in grace and that we may grow for his glory. Pat read to us earlier these familiar and powerful words from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. But let me remind you of them and will you can follow along on the screen as well. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I wonder very quickly, do you see it? Do you get it? That from the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, 
From their most formative moments, the members of the early church carried out consistent practices that were necessary to shape and sustain their lives and their faith in Christ. And they did it together. Habits has become such a dirty word in society. We associate them with bad habits, but actually habits are very beautiful things when applied correctly. You see, in this example in the early church, which is an example and is the blueprint for us today, did you notice that they were together? That they experienced God together? They met together regularly. They were vulnerable together. They practiced their shared faith together. They learned together. They witnessed and told others of Christ together. And they grew together. Church, you need one another. We need one another. And guess what? We need you. And you need us. We were created for community and we grow together in Christ likeness in community. We do it together. Gathering together as the body of Christ. I want to tell you this. Gathering together like this. Gathering together as the body of Christ. It should be our excuse to miss everything else. Not the other way around. We need each other because we grow together. Turn to the person beside you. Say, I need you. <laughs> Husbands and wives laughing at each other again. We need each other. We need each other. And one of the most secret and longest institutions of the church has been that they have partaken in the communion meal together. Instituted by Jesus Christ in the upper room as he gathered with his disciples who told them as often as you eat and as often as you drink this do in remembrance of me. Of bread which signified a broken body of wine, or in our case, grape juice, which signified the shared blood, which was a new covenant, a new promise that we could be with him, not just eternally, but that we could grow in grace with him in this life as well. And one of the things was that it was done collectively. I would argue you can't do communion on your own. It's done collectively. It's a shared meal together. And this is an act not of taking the elements, not of taking the broken body, not of taking the blood that was shed, but of receiving. Receiving bread which signifies the body which was broken, of taking of the cup which signifies his blood that was shed to pay our ransom. This is one of the ways that we grow together. And God graces us with his presence in these moments. 
the elements are emblems. They're no more than a wee wafer and no more than some juice. But God, by his spirit, presences himself in this meal. A meal which we take together. A meal which we receive. The grace of God. And in these moments, I invite you to take of the bread. To take of the wafer. And to give of thanks for all that he has done. Which signifies the broken body for you. Take, eat, and be thankful. And the beauty of this meal, as well as being one which we take together, it is also deeply personal as well. So as you take of the cup, I invite you to pray. Maybe you need a little bit more grace. Maybe you want to recommit your life to Jesus today. Maybe you recognize that you've been putting so much stock on experiences, on your behavior. That you've lost sight of what it's all about. Take this time to do business with God and let's drink together. Lord, we praise you that you are a personal saviour. But you're a personal saviour who gave us the gift of one another. Lord, help us to devote ourselves not only to you, but also to each other. That we may grow in Christ-likeness. That we may grow in grace. That we may grow in the things of God together. Just as you intended us to. And Lord, in these moments, we pray that you would bond us deeper together with cords of love which cannot be broken that you would have your way in us your people and that you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say and all that we think that this community may know of a saviour who loves them and who shed his precious blood for them Lord, form us into the people that you've called us to be and that this community needs us to be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you can, let's stand together as we close our time in worship.